Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Change the more they stay the same. And I'm so glad that this church has not excommunicated David Tao yet. Everybody knows what I'm talking about here, don't they? Oh, he came up to us at the start, and I said, you got to embarrass Melissa before we get started. And he just had that smile on his face, and you could see, see the wheels turning. And David, I love you, brother. Alita, I pray for you. I pray for you. I see what, I see what he puts up on Facebook all the time. Um, it's good to be back here. It's good to see these faces here. I remember the days of being here. I believe it was 10 years, wasn't it? About 10 years that we were here. And I remember when I first came in here, I was nothing but a David Tao. We love you, David. <laughs> you should have picked on me this morning. I was nothing. I was nothing. You know, I got my beginning over at Fairview under Rule Fox. I remember the sermon he preached. And that evening I went home and I was at the lowest point in my life and I hit my knees. And there at that moment, Jesus Christ came to me. And it's, it's been a ride ever since. And I look around this place, I remember coming into Sunday school, faces like, where you at? Is Brian here today? There you are, I didn't even see you there. Brian being in his Sunday school, and I, you know, um, Nathan, uh, Glenn, um, there's so many in here that I remember just taking me under the wing. Eric, just bringing me up in RAs, helping me through in Sunday school, leading and guiding me, and leading me to where I am today, and I love this church. You know, when God calls people to go elsewhere, that means you're doing your job, church. That means you're doing your job. And whatever he he sends out, whatever you build up in this church and you send out to the world, I guarantee your God will provide. He will provide more people for you to train up. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. I love you, church. I love you. And if you see me playing with this thing, I still can't get used to using the, the, the earpiece. I'm so used to using the lapel. So forgive me if I keep playing with it. It's just the way I'm used to using the lapel. So I'll be coming out of the last verse of Jonah chapter 3 and Jonah, all of Jonah 4 today. And let me go ahead and start off reading. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. And this is the Bible that y'all ordained me with, and I greatly appreciate it. It's been a great blessing for me to have this. Sorry, let me try to get situated here. There we go. So, Jonah, the last verse, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and all of Jonah chapter 4. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, speaking of the city of Nineveh, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Sorry, let me get it straight. About there. There we go. But it, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, 
is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in it, it, and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from the misery, from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, again, he asked the same question again, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to the death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And today I just pray, Father, that we lift you up and praise you for the God that you are. You are the loving, faithful God that has always been there and will always be there with us. And Father, I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds and open our ears to the word that you have to speak to us today. We love you and we thank you. It's your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Can I tell you something real quick, church? God is working towards something. He knows where things are going to end up and there's nothing or no one that can derail his plans or purposes. He is the sovereign God that is still and always will be in control of his universe. And along the way, God has used many different people to bring about his purposes and his plans as they unfold throughout history. You have Moses that led the people out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years towards the promised land. Then there's Joshua that led the people in to the promised land. You have the teenage David that stood before the Lord when no one else would in the valley of Elah before Goliath. Gideon, he took 300 men at the Lord's command and defeated the Midianite army. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and proclaimed the name of the Lord before the prophets of Baal. Elisha. Daniel, Queen Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Peter, John, James, the half-brother of Jesus, Paul, and the list goes on and on. Have you ever stopped to think and said to yourself, I'd love to be able to do great things like they did for the Lord? Has anybody in here ever thought that? I have too. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever looked through Scripture and said to yourself, I never want to be like and you fill in the blank. Have you ever said that to yourself? Looking at people in the scripture? I never want to be like somebody. I believe one of those people in scripture for me is Jonah. Let's be honest. Jonah is not a biblical character we would ever want to act like. In chapter 1 of Jonah, we see a prophet of God completely rebel against the God of the universe. He was called to that great city, Nineveh. Now, let me tell you a little something about Nineveh. They were the ISIS of the day. They were known for, now listen to this, they were known for these things. Listen, they were known for their mass killings. They were known for the burning of children. 
They were known for torturing people, taking off the skin of their captives, burying people up to their necks in the ground and nailing their tongues to the ground. They were known for crucifying people and impaling people on the stakes. Anybody here ready to go to Nineveh? Oh, come on, no takers? Me neither. You see, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and Israel and and, um, the Assyrians, they bitterly, bitterly hated each other. And the Lord's first words to Jonah here, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now during this time, Amos and Hosea, they were prophets at the same time Jonah was. What do you think Jonah's thinking? Hey Lord, why don't you send them instead? Why me? God, do you really know where you're sending me to? Jonah loved Israel. He was devoted to Israel and there was no place he would rather be than Israel. How would you respond if the Lord sent you somewhere you didn't want to be? Jonah's response? Let's just say this. Don't act like Jonah. Jonah fled in the opposite direction of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, and he paid a fare. Now I want to pause right there about that word fare real quick. When we hear that Jonah paid the fare, most people think Jonah went up and he bought a ticket. And he got on the boat, spent five, ten dollars taking a ferry ride across the sea somewhere. That's not, when we get back to the original Hebrew language, that's not what the word fair means. It actually has a much stronger meaning. What, what Jonah did when he spent money for the fair, he actually either won, and scholars are not sure on which one he did, but he either won, he paid a lot of money to rent out the boat, or two, he actually bought the boat himself. Jonah spent a lot of time He spent a lot of money, and he spent a lot of energy running from the presence of the Lord. How much time do we, how much money, how much energy do we spend running from the presence of God sometimes? Have you ever tried to run in the opposite direction of God? How'd that work out for you? Not very good, I can guarantee that. Then we see Jonah go down into the heart of the ship, and he fell asleep peacefully. Now, I I want you to... This falling asleep peacefully in the heart of the ship. I want you to get this point. Very powerful. Jonah went in. He fell and went down in the midst of the ship. And he fell asleep. Now remember, Jonah is running from the presence of God. And let me tell you something. Jonah was in a state of peaceful defiance to the Lord. Peaceful defiance. And let me tell you something. When you are in a state of peaceful defiance to the Lord, you're in a very dangerous place. So Jonah is peacefully asleep in the heart of the boat. The captain comes to him and he goes, what are you doing, man? So they cast lots. And of course, the lot to find out whose fault it was. And the lot falls on Jonah. So when Jonah finally tells him who he is and why this storm is upon him, upon them, his advice to the sailors is this. Throw me overboard. Yes, I would rather die than take God's message of mercy and grace to Nineveh. What did Jonah think was going to happen if he got thrown into the storm, into the sea? Eventually, they end up throwing Jonah overboard, and he goes down into the heart of the sea. And I want you to hear this real quick, because this word is used quite a bit in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah went down to Joppa to go down to Tarshish. Jonah went down into the heart of the ship and went down into a peaceful sleep. He went down into the heart of the sea, 
and he went down into the belly of a great fish. How far did Jonah have to go? How far do we have to go down until we realize that God loves us and he only wants what's best for us? And he knows what he's doing. That downward spiral of sin, sometimes when you're in it, you can't see the light out of it. Anybody ever been there? We all have. Sometimes when God is calling us to do something, we act a lot, like, a lot more like Jonah than what we'd want to admit. And then comes my favorite verse in all of the book of Jonah. It's, ch it's chapter 1, verse 17. You all know it. And here it is. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What a great day it is after we have tried to run from the presence of the Lord. What a great day it is after we spend so much time, money, and energy. What a great day it is when we get swallowed up by a fish called grace. Do you remember that day when you were swallowed up by God's marvelous grace? Have you ever been swallowed up by God's marvelous grace? What a day that is. His grace is greater than all of your sin. You just can't out God's mercy and grace. You can't do it. And then in Jonah chapter 2, we see the prayer of Jonah from the belly of the fish. And what we see here in this prayer is that Jonah was in a state of deep, deep despair. You have gone down as far as you can. You're in the bottom of the ocean in the, in the, in the belly of a great fish. How would you feel? You're, he's in a state of deep despair. He's as low as he could be. However, no matter how far down you go, no matter how far you have tried to run from the presence of God, we see in Jonah's prayer, you can still look, look up and cry out to him. While in the, Jonah was in the belly of the fish, Jonah praised and thanked God for his provision of grace. His salvation is what kept Jonah going, and it's what keeps us going each and every day. Matter of fact, that's exactly how Jonah ends his prayer. In verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. And then in chapter 3, we see four things. First, God gave Jonah and God gives us second chances. Aren't you glad for his second chances today? I don't know where I'd be without his second chance. Second thing we see, I love this one. I love this one. Don't miss this point. When we yield to God, we get an exceedingly great opportunity. Jonah got a second chance to speak God's word to more than 120,000 people. I'd call that an exceedingly great opportunity. And who does God use to speak his message? Third, God sends flawed messengers to proclaim his flawless message. He calls you and me. People that are far from perfect to proclaim his perfect message. And fourth, we see in chapter 3, when we yield to God, you get supernatural results. When Jonah spoke God's flawless message, five words in the original Hebrew text, eight in the English, more than 120,000 people repented. In chapters 1 and 2 of Jonah, we see God's grace is sufficient even for those individuals that try to run and flee from him. If you're running and fleeing from him today, his grace is sufficient. In chapter 3 of Jonah, we see that God's grace is sufficient for all people, even those we think might not deserve it. 
even those that we think are too evil and too wicked. God's grace is for all people. And as we come to chapter 4, I want to start off with this. If we call ourselves believers, that means two things for us. First, we are disciples. Now, disciple is simple. It's a learner, a follower of Christ. We are called to learn more and more about Christ and follow Him daily. That's what Jesus means when He says in John chapter 15, Abide in me and I in you. That's the most important thing He wants us to do, is to love Him and abide in Him. And if we call ourselves believers, then the second thing we are, we are also messengers. We have been commissioned by the king himself to carry his message of mercy and grace to all people. We are called to carry his message to the world. And here in chapter 4 of Jonah, I've got two questions I want to answer for you today. First one, what kills the heart of those called to share his message? What kills the heart of those called to share his message? And the second question is this, how do we avoid having a heart like Jonah? We really need to pay attention to this chapter. The lesson is something churches and individuals today need to hear. Here we see what kills the heart of those called to proclaim his message to the world. And here we see how to avoid a heart like Jonah. We have been called to carry his message of mercy and grace to the world. <clears throat> and to get the context of what's going on here in chapter 4, we're going to start with the last verse of Jonah chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the backdrop drop of what happens all throughout chapter 4. So listen again to the last verse of chapter 3. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, speaking of Nineveh, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Jonah went to Nineveh, he spoke God's simple message, more than 120,000 souls repented, and God relented from bringing disaster upon Nineveh, at the end of chapter 3. This brings us to a deep theological question we must all deal with. And here's the question. Did the unchangeable God change here? Did the people of Nineveh cause a change in God's holy and unchanging nature? The answer is surprisingly simple. And to do that, let me ask you a question. When we look at the people of Nineveh and we look at God, who changed? Did God change or did the people of Nineveh have a change of heart? See, God has always been a God according to His nature that is ready and willing to forgive. He is a loving God that cares deeply for you. He is, as 1 Timothy 2.4 says, a God who desires all to be saved. But He is not going to force Himself upon His mercy and grace upon anyone that is not willing to receive it. So to answer the question, no, God did not change who he is. He acted according to his nature in extending mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh. That's who he is, a merciful and gracious God. If they didn't repent, he would have still acted according to his holy nature by judging them because he's a just and holy God. See, the change came in the hearts of the people, not in God. He is always acted according to his holy nature. He's still acting according to his holy nature today, and he will always and forevermore act according to his holy nature. And now we come to our first question for today, which is, what kills the heart of those that are called to share his message? Listen to verse 1 of chapter 4. But it dis 
pleased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. I need you to understand something. I need you to understand how upset and how angry Jonah was. Back in Genesis, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin had come up before God and he swiftly and powerfully judged their sin. The language used here to describe Jonah's anger is the same as God's anger towards the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you get what I'm saying? God's anger towards sin is the same anger Jonah has towards God's mercy and grace towards Nineveh. He can't believe God would show mercy to them. And it shows the true nature of Jonah's heart. This is even more troubling when we go back to Jonah and see the same mercy given to Jonah that God gave to Nineveh. Jonah would have died at the bottom of the sea if God wouldn't have intervened. Nineveh would have been destroyed if God didn't intervene. Jonah was thrilled. Listen to this. Jonah was thrilled when God showed mercy to him, but how dare God show mercy to them? And Jonah makes it even clear, makes it clear that this is the problem. Look at verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. This is why I ran from you, God. I told you, I knew what you would do. And listen to the verse, rest of verse 2. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Really, Jonah, what are you mad about? This is who God is. You know who God is. See, Basically, Jonah is just repeating who God says he is out of Exodus 34. The same God Jonah worships and praises in chapter 2 is the same God he's now angry with in chapter 4. Why? Because the same mercy and grace that he received from God is not what Jonah thinks Nineveh deserves. And now, what does Jonah want to do? Look at verse 3 with me. Therefore now, O Lord, please... Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. It's better for me to die than see people repent and turn to you. It's the same attitude Jonah had on the boat in chapter 1. Toss me overboard. I'd rather die than deliver this message to them. I'd rather die than see mercy and grace come to the city of Nineveh. What kills the heart of us that are called to carry his message to the world is when we realize that they are sinners. It's when we realize that we're sinners. But listen to this. And think to yourself, if you've ever thought this and said this to yourself. I know we're all sinners. But I'm not as bad as a sinner as them. What kills the gospel heart of individuals and churches. It's when we think that they, those over there, are greater sinners. It's when we think that they deserve judgment. Not us. It's when we wish that those that, that did wrong one day are going to get what they deserve not realizing that we also deserve the same thing it's when we start acting and believing that our sin is not as bad as theirs basically it's a self-righteous attitude towards God's mercy and grace that kills a gospel heart Jonah knew we know God is a gracious and merciful God but heaven forbid if God acts in any way different than what we think he should act let me give you an example of this, and I'm going to tell you right now. 
I think he's out on security, but I can hear Anthony saying, preach it, brother, on this example. So let me give you an example real quick and just show you how we act like Jonah at times. Imagine you're driving down the interstate. The speed limit is 70 miles per hour. How fast are you going? Ah, you're doing 77. No cop's going to pull you over. It's just seven over the speed limit. Then all of a sudden, I see a couple people laughing at some family members in here right now. Then all of a sudden, another car comes flying past you, cuts over in front of you, and nearly hits you at 85 miles an hour. What do you say to yourself or out loud? Please don't repeat it in here. What do you say? I hope a cop saw that. They should get a ticket for reckless driving and speeding. And when that car gets pulled over, that cop better not let them off with a warning. But heaven forbid you get pulled over for doing seven miles per hour the speed limit and the cop gives you a ticket. He'd better give you a warning. But the other person, oh, they deserve a ticket. Am I hitting home with some people in here? Let me give you a little hint. Both of you are spreading. Both of you are breaking the law. Both of you deserve a ticket. But the problem is, in your mind, your speeding is not as bad as theirs. When it comes to God's law, there's no gray area. Either you sinned or didn't. God's law is absolute. And if you think your little sin is not as bad as their big sin, then one, you don't understand the nature of a holy God. Two, you really don't understand mercy and grace. Mercy is when you don't, when you don't get what you really deserve. And what do we deserve when we sin against a, sin against a holy God? Paul says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is and grace is getting what we do not deserve. And what do we not deserve? Paul in the same verse tells us that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's grace. That's mercy. What kills the heart of individuals and churches called to carry his message is this self-righteous misunderstanding of mercy and grace. The same attitude that Jonah had in his heart. The same attitude we all, we all have in our hearts in some way. Listen to this. I would go to Europe, China, Central or South America to share the gospel. But don't ask me to go in the, the heart of ISIS country. They're too evil. They're too wicked. Same attitude Jonah had when he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Or even better yet, this attitude we see prevalent in the American church today. I am saved. My ticket is punched. I belong to a church. I can sit back and wait. I know Jesus is returning one day, and when he does, oh, those sinners, they're going to get it. Without realizing that we have been commissioned by the king to take his message of mercy and grace to those same people we think deserve judgment. That attitude was in Jonah's heart because he couldn't understand why God would extend mercy and grace to people that were not part of Israel, people that didn't look like him, act like him, talk like him, that sinned greater than him. You see, we're all a lot, lot more like Jonah than what we want to admit, and God here is revealing in this chapter what's in Jonah's heart, what's in our heart. When you look at certain people or groups of people differently than you, are a lot like Jonah. And I'm sorry, we all do that. God wants Jonah, he wants us to take a deep look into our hearts and see what matters. To see what matters in our hearts. What's important. And of all things, God uses a plant 
and a worm here in chapter 4 to show what was really in Jonah's heart. And to answer the second question today, how do we avoid having a heart like Jonah? Let's start off looking at verses 4 through 5. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And notice Jonah's lack of response besides running again. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made for himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Jonah goes outside of the city. He sits down and he pouts like a three-year-old waiting to see what God's actually going to do. And God came to Jonah in verses 6 through 9. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So listen to this. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Jonah again is grateful when mercy and grace is extended to him. But look at verses 7 through 9. As morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered it. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that the so that he grew faint then he wished death for himself and said it is better for me to die than live then listen to God's same question again here in this last verse then God said to Jonah is it right for you to be angry about the plant and Jonah said it is right for me to be angry even to death again Jonah would have rather died because he's not showing mercy and grace to him at that moment, and God is not acting according to how he thinks God should act. Then God drives the point home in verses 10 through 11, and I want you to really pay attention to these two verses right here. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity that great city, Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. God says to Jonah, Jonah, you mean you care more for the plant than you, you... You care more for the plant that you had nothing to do with than you care for people? People created in my image? This plant came up and was gone in a day, and that's what bothers you? But this city... These people, their souls and their eternal destiny, that doesn't bother you one bit, Jonah. What's wrong with you, man? God knew what was wrong and wanted to show Jonah, wants to show us the true nature of our hearts at times. God knew what was wrong and wanted to show it. Sometimes, sometimes we care more about comfort, money, and things than we care about people, people created in God's image. So the question I have for you to, as we begin to wrap up today is this. What do you love more than people? God wanted, to, and I want you to listen to this point right here. Let this one sink in for a minute. God wanted Jonah to know, God wants us to know, the things that we love besides people, they're plant-like. They're here today and gone tomorrow. But people, that is a different story. The eternal destiny of a person's soul is what matters. Just because they don't look like us, act like us, and they sin in a way that we think is worse than us, that doesn't matter. Look at the things you love. Look at the things God loves. God loves people and wants to see 
people, wants us to see people as he sees them. That's how we avoid having a heart like Jonah. Our gospel hearts as his messengers will die when we don't see people as he does. It happens when we start saying their sin is greater than my sin. It happens when we forget that mercy and grace is offered to all people through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And I never want to see a day in any church when this happens because at that point the church stops being the church and they're only pretending to be a church, the body of Christ. I think it's interesting that the book of Jonah suddenly ends right here. We don't know what happened to Jonah next. Maybe he repented of his ways. Maybe his heart remained the same. I believe God purposely inspired this book to stop right where it was. I believe what God is doing by saying it doesn't matter what's happened with Jonah next. I believe God is saying to us, it doesn't matter. What matters is what happens with us right here, right now, in the next step. Are we going to allow this self-righteous attitude of mercy and grace to affect how we look at people? Are we going to continue to say to ourselves that mercy and grace belongs to us? Are we going to look at all people the way God sees them? Or are we going to continue judging people on our own? God loves all people. He desires that all surrender their life to Christ. You see, his blood was shed on the cross for everyone. Paul says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God wanted to teach Jonah. He wants to teach us today that God's grace is for all people. And as I start to wrap up, and musicians, if you wanted to come on up and get ready, as I start to wrap up, I want to close off with one verse, two verses today. As we talk about God's grace for all people, I, I, I know I want you to think about it in the here and now, but I also want you to think about God's grace for all people in the future. And I want you to stop and think about these two verses. If we talk about a homecoming, and we're here for a homecoming today, I want you to stop and think about how His grace is extended to all people, how it's for all people, and what our glorious future looks like one day. John says in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is our future. This is the future of the eternal kingdom. It's a picture from people all over the world praising God forever and ever. Converted terrorists, murderers, recovered addicts and alcoholics. People from all races and nations, Democrats and Republicans. It's a picture of all the redeemed praising God forever and ever because they have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our future. That's our glorious day. And if we don't believe the fact that God's grace is for all people, that verse means nothing to us. That is our future. That is what we're looking for, and that's what we're called to do, church. Are you ready for that day? Is there anyone, any group of people today that you do not love or you wish God's judgment on? When there are people that you look differently at, then you are like Jonah. Is the reason we, as a church, not reaching people 
because our hearts are too much like Jonah. God wants us to have his heart for all people. He wants us to see people the way he sees people. God loves people and desires for all people to experience his mercy and grace. God wants to reach all people. Why? Because God's grace is for all people. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we just want to praise you today. And I know that each and every one of us have had our moment of individual coming to Jesus, their moment of salvation. But Father, help us open our eyes and see the people the way you see them with the love and grace and mercy that you want to pour out upon them. And Father, I pray this week that you use us, use the body, put the people in front of us and just let us share the greatness of who you are. Because God, your grace is for all people. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.